0: Welcome to Podium, sponsored by PTW, supporting all e learning providers globally. On today's Podium podcast, we have a subject that will potentially touch all of us at some point in our careers burnout. A subject so often ignored or pushed under the carpet as it's seen by some as a weakness. Today, mental health is top of the health and well being agendas. And here with me today are two people, both very successful and well known in their careers, who have become the victims of burnout only to go on and build businesses. To help both enterprise, SME, and business owners understand why they need to have a high degree of self awareness as well as incorporating this into their learning programmes. Welcome Heather Beach and Clive Johnson. Thank you. Heather, perhaps you could give us a brief overview of how you came to set up Healthy Working.
1: Yes, I'd love to. Up until two and a half years ago, I was working as a director for a FTSE 250 company, running magazines, exhibitions, conferences, information services in the health and safety sector. And it was a large organisation, really, really good, actually. I really enjoyed it. But I was coming up to 50. I know that doesn't seem possible, but I was. I just thought to myself, is this what I want to do for the rest of my career? And I thought, you know what? It isn't I want to do something that I'm really passionate and interested in, which is all about understanding why human beings thrive in life, what sorts of things they need to do to ensure that they are happy and they get the most out of their lives. And this kind of coincided with the interest that everybody had in mental health. So I left my job. I started a master's in positive psychology. I did some instructor training. And I started a business in helping people to understand what they need to do in their organisations to support a (laughs) mentally healthy workplace and also to do training for people in, particularly for managers, because that is a really hard conversation for a manager to have with someone when they're struggling with their mental health.
0: That's really good to hear. Thank you very much, Heather. And Clive, you come from a different perspective in the enterprise market. Tell us a bit about your experience and why you decided to create Business Risk Solutions.
2: Well, thank you for the introduction. I've just recently left Lansec, one of the top 50 PLC property companies in the UK. I've been with them for eight years, and throughout that time, I was very fortunate to work for a company that took health, safety, security, and particular well-being seriously. So I was able to work with a company that knew how to create the right environment for people to thrive. But even though you create that environment for people to thrive, sometimes people fall through the net. One of the reasons I left LANSEC was not because of LANSEC as, as a company, it was because there was an opportunity for me to get outside LANSEC and, and drive the health agenda outside on a broader scale. For me, raising the health profile, giving it the same billing as, as safety and getting people to talk about the mental health and the well-being is ultimately what I'm looking to uh, achieve.
0: I think that's really good, Clive, and I, it's interesting to hear that both of you coming from... The same angles, but obviously from a different point of view of where you've turned out. And it's interesting, maybe for people listening to this podcast, actually trying to understand what is burnout? What is it all about? What do we need to be aware of? So what is burnout all about?
1: It was basically just recognised by the World Health Organisation in ICD-11, which is the classification of mental health issues which are used for it on a diagnostic level. And it was recognised as an occupational condition an occupational condition when people become chronically exhausted with work effectively. And it's interesting because it kind of ties in with the health and safety executive who say that in their risk management standards for stress, that job demands, i.e. too much work, is the key reason why people become too stressed at work and end up going off sick. So it's quite interesting that they created this category at this time.
0: I think that's really interesting because from... The way that the market has gone being employed and where we've become more self-serving, we're often doing much more in our roles than we used to 20 years ago. And that's probably leads on maybe, Clive, to
2: looking at what
0: the dimensions are of risk and what that brings. What do they look like?
2: I mean, if you look at any company, whether it's a large PLC company or an SME company, the risks are the same, but they're just at different levels. And the way that the working world works at the moment is that people are very keen to impress all the time. They're very keen to be seen as being present in the workplace all the time, to be seen visible to doing it. But in the background of all that, quite often that person, they'll want to be in the workplace to show their visibility, but there's lots of other things that's going off in the background that really when they get to the workplace, they don't function in the same way that they should do. And Heather picked up on it earlier, there's a massive gap in sort of line managers' ability to pick up the signs of their team or the departments when these sort of outside or internal mental health or well-being affects them. I think all businesses and industries, they've all got the great intentions of promoting people because they've worked there for 20 years to the next level. But what I don't think they think about enough is around have they got all the right skills to manage people? And yes, they've got the technical competencies, which is great, but have they got the softer skills to be able to deal with the people. For me, if there's one thing that could change change in our industries, collectively, that we shouldn't promote anybody without giving them all the right tools in the toolbox to do the job. And one of those would be around the softer side, have the ability to, to engage in conversation with people.
0: I think that what you're coming with there, Clive and Heather, is looking at maybe what are the warning signs, because if you're saying people don't often know what they are, it's interesting to know from maybe listeners' point of view what they should be looking for as well. What would that look like from uh, the warning side aspect?
2: For me, I thought I was immune to all this sort of stuff. I did 23 years in the Royal Air Force, serving in conflict areas from the Falklands, the Gulf, and then into former Yugoslavia. And I thought my life experiences equipped me with enough resilience to deal with anything. And what I realised over the last year that you know, you're not immune to these sort of pressures. And for me, I kept saying yes, I kept saying yes. And really, I wanted to say yes, I wanted to help people out. But I just kept saying yes, and I realised I was taking too much on and too much on. And from that point, people started to recognise the change in my behaviours. Because that's not the normal Clive. What's up with him? Because he's normally the sort of happy-go-lucky type of guy. But all of a sudden, he's not. He's a bit, bit withdrawn. My wife picked up on it which is another sign. My wife knows me very well, so she picked up on my behaviours. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, crikey, I really need to evaluate what's happening to me here because ultimately if I carry on on this road, you know, the wheels are going to fall off. It's about identifying the triggers which trigger these feelings off. I finally had the sort of final rock in my rucksack which sort of said, no, you're doing too much and you've got to reevaluate what you're doing. <laughs> And that's obviously you
0: got to a point where you did realise that. Oh, and yeah. Luckily yeah. enough that people around you did. Yeah. Was that the same for you, Heather? Did Not you...
1: really, no, because I work pretty much on my own. So although I do have people working for me, we all work remotely. So we don't see each other day to day. It's quite embarrassing because I run a business in specialising mm. in people's mental health and well-being. And I was in the middle of a master's on positive psychology. And I was actually writing an essay about resilience. And I was congratulating myself on creating work, which I loved so much, which really stretched me, but was really interesting. I was working with people I really wanted to work with. I was really passionate about it. And I was thinking, this is the absolute best. And then all of a sudden, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was actually in a course on my master's and I started to cry and one of the fellow participants came up to me and said, what's going on? And I said, well, I'm just completely overwhelmed. And he said, what's the most important thing to you right now? And I said, well, it's getting a distinction in my next essay. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I realised that things were slightly off and I just put myself to bed for six weeks, pretty much. And that has happened to me before, so I recognised the signs of where I was. But what I really have to come to terms with this time is that this is part of my personality and my drivers. Those are the things that I needed to look at because it wasn't anyone else putting pressure on me. I wasn't in a corporate job where people were saying, come on, Heather, you've got to perform. It was me driving me. That was a big revelation for me. And I, I sort of understood more about myself. And for example, I see work as like play because I love it, but it's not play you do need time to relax. You do need to do other things aside from work. And like Clive, I have a problem saying, no, I want to be helpful. And I want to do every job really, really well. So I've got perfectionist tendencies as well, which don't help. And I think a lot of people in the workplace today are like that as well.
0: Do you think that based upon what both of you have achieved with your own individual businesses, there is a difference from enterprise level down to the business owner level in terms of this burnout, the stress that
2: is being experienced by people. I mean, if I can give an example of, of Lansec, I would class them as a prime example of what good looks like in terms of creating the right environment for them people to thrive. And that came from the board level down in terms of six years ago, Lansec was working in an eight-story silo building in the Strand. And the CEO said to his senior team, what type of environment do we need to create for our people to thrive? So we went back and gave him some ideas. Two years later, we moved out of an eight-story building to a single-floor plate where we've got all this agile working. So that's a great example of the board and the CEO putting the money where the mouth is, thinking about their people. And that changed the whole culture within the business. People were talking to each other because they are on the same floor. So you didn't have accounts there and development there. People now spoke to each other at the coffee machine. They speak to each other at the printer, where a lot of these conversations before took place via email. And now there's a more of a face-to-face. So things started to change. So within the office, they had treadmill desks. They had stand-up, sit-down desks. They got sleeping rooms. They really put the money where the mouth was in terms of what do we need to create. But for me personally, a lot of it was my own doing. By what Heather said, I do a lots of things externally outside of my previous role. And it was those roles, working for the Inclusive Economy Partnership, a Government Cabinet Office initiative around mental health, whether it was working with other external industry committees that were really overloading me. And my team recognised it last Christmas, and they bought me relaxation, they bought me yoga classes, they got me tickets for me and my wife to go to the cinema. <laughs> so, but, so my team picked up on it. And I think out of this podcast today, one of the massive takeaways should be That the line managers have got to have the right knowledge and skills to pick up when that person they're working with isn't like he normally is. And and once you get those skills within the business, you might look at somebody within a different department. It might not be your department, but you've got the ability and the confidence to ask them what's up.
1: And you know what, I completely agree with that. And I think probably that was partly my undoing was the fact that I wasn't in that kind of Mm. environment anymore. Because when I worked at UBM, I had literally the best boss ever. I loved him to bits and he just, he knew when I was under pressure because I used to get irritable and I'm not an irritable person, but I used to get cross with him and he'd be like, okay, come on, let's go for a chat. What's going on beach? And that was enough for me. That's what I needed. And I don't have that anymore because I'm now working for myself. Another takeaway that I had from this period is I need to surround myself with people who are in my position. I didn't know people who ran their own businesses. I knew employed people like I had been. And I've now got two or three or four people who are in my position who I know I can pick up the phone to and say, I've got this problem. Can you help me out? Which I didn't have in the past. I agree. I think it is very different. And I totally agree with that gap as well. As a manager myself, when I was a director of the business where I was, I really struggled having that conversation with people. You worry about being intrusive. You worry yeah. about ending up in a tribunal if you say the wrong thing. So that's part of what we do is train people to have that conversation. And We find that instinctively people actually do know what to do and say, but they don't quite trust themselves. They don't have the confidence to do it.
0: Mm. It's um, a broad mix of situations that you've got here, which what I feel is though coming out of this is that you're feeling that within the learning environment that this type of subject ought to be included within the curriculum or within the introduction into a business in the induction process is that something that you talk 100%. to companies
2: if you look beyond companies bringing that into their inductions and you look at the double RSMs and the IOSHs of the world, Institute of International Risk and Safety Management and IOSH Occupational Health, these two organisations have got a great opportunity to include that within their learning for people to get qualified as a health and safety practitioner. Mm. Because I've called myself a health and safety practitioner since 1996. But if I'm honest with myself, all I've done is safety up until about three years ago. Because you deal with the immediacy of safety, where somebody's fallen and you can see what's happened. But the health bit, quite often it's invisible. Quite often it's latency. So it's not got that same focus of attention. But if you can get the IOSHS and dubai SMs of the world to include this in their training programmes with all future potential practitioners, that's where I think it should really start from and give health the same billing as safety within the professional qualification.
1: It's a really, really good point. It tends to fall between HR and health and yeah, safety. Yeah. You're never quite sure where it sits. But most of our training that we deliver, we do half days and one days. And what we then talk to the organisation about is when we go away, how can you incorporate this in your induction exactly as you said there? Because that's really where it needs to sit.
0: Should it potentially come before that? Should it come at the recruitment stage?
1: Well, you do need to think as well about the type of individual you're recruiting. Are they going to cope with the pressures of that particular job and be really open with them about what the pressures are in that job? I come from the events industry. It's a highly pressurised industry. You've basically got. Three, four days a year when you are absolutely manic and you don't sleep. It doesn't suit everybody. So you just need to be really clear up and upfront with people about what they're going to expect in that job.
0: So there is a question there then to say that potentially you'll be looking at what does the job description, does that include elements around the style of that person
2: to that role as well? I think recruitment's crucial the more mature companies get when recruiting people where the person that's applying for the job is quite happy to say to them, well, look, you know, a bit more about me, this happened to me, so that company knows how to deal with you. And it shouldn't be a blocker to stop you getting a job, it just lets that company know that there may be some vulnerability there yeah. But I think it's like any disability, you've got to be open about a disability because it shouldn't be a blocker to stop when you're getting a job, should it? You know. So I think being open about stress and mental health and making the the whole working world a lot more transparent around these sort of things. Okay, so when we've recruited the team and we've got individuals
0: in the team, you've mentioned earlier on about the World Health Organization and the ICD-11 that's recently come out this year. From a point of view of taking individual responsibility and also team responsibility, how does that work together?
1: So for me, I think there's a fundamental issue with both the World Health Organization saying this is a purely occupational condition and the health and safety executive that talk about risk factors as purely being work related. Because I think there has to be a recognition that you are a whole individual that goes to work You're not just a piece of machinery that functions in a particular way. We all have our own quirks. We all have our own drivers, our own ways of doing things. And I think it has to be a partnership between the individual and the organisation. So the organisation has to do their best to create an environment in which people thrive. But the individual has to take ownership for understanding themselves and their own drivers. We've talked a little bit about what I've recently discovered about myself. I'm sure that Clive has discovered some things about himself through this process as well. And that's really for us now to own and do what we're going to do about it.
2: I mean, just on the how it's affected me, by taking that responsibility, it gives you then the ability to, the courage to say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's something I've sort of not done in the past, where I probably just kept going on the, on the hamster wheel, so to speak, and ultimately it got faster and faster and I had to get off the hamster wheel. But because I didn't take enough personal responsibility for my own sort of well-being, because I, I thought I was immune to all this sort of stuff. Once I realised what had happened, the way that I sort of dealt with it was that I'm a keen sportsman, I do a lot of cycling, swimming and running, and swimming in open water, cold water... Did it for me. I was swimming through the summer three times a week in a local lake. You're out there for an hour, swimming round, and you've just got your thoughts to yourself. In terms of refreshing your brain and refreshing your mind, you come out a different person. It puts a lot of things into perspective. really does.
1: Mm, For me, there is that whole thing about you have to stop. If you're in a burnout, you've got to stop. You've got to completely do something different, and you've got to stop. But then there is exactly what Clive talked about. This then the requirement to really hone in on what is important going forward, what really aligns with what you want to be about moving forward, what goals are you really going to prioritise, and what are you going to say no to? Because all of us that suffer from burnout have a problem saying no.
2: Mm. I mean, one of the big bits for me was that I've got a very understanding wife, and she knew what I did, and she knew how passionate I was about working for Lansick, and I love what I do, I love what I do working for Lansick, and I, would never, I wouldn't want to ever change that. But as a consequence of that, it affects your family life. And Going through what I went through, I've realized, well, hang on, that's more important than that now. And it's never too late to change, I believe. And I have changed. I feel like I've got, if I had a brain at all, but I think I've got a third of it back. (laughs) Uh, Because of, you know, the way that I'm I'm dealing with things now. And, uh, you know, anybody out there listening to this around the burnout, the mental health, I think you've just got to sit back and look at what you do and how you do it and prioritize it in terms of your work. It's not your work-life balance, it's your life balance, isn't it? And it's getting that real balance together because if you ask anybody what's the most important thing in their lives, they're going to tell you it's their family. But how often does that work bit come first and the family bit come second? And and for me now, yes, as old as I am, you know, I've I've had a realization that well, hang on, my wife supported me all these years doing this and that. It's now a bit of a give back to my wife as well, really, and my family, my boys and their wives, you know, and um, just enjoying life more than I did before. (laughs) Okay, that's really good to hear all
0: of that, Clive, and particularly as wanting to give back as well. I think that's important for all of us to recognise. We've got so much giving back that we need to do everywhere in our lives these days. From a point of view of trying to help people that are listening within this podcast, are there places and resources that they could go to that you can give them links to?
2: Yeah, of course. And one of the ones which is close to my heart is something which we established back in Sort of 2016-17 is a mental health programme, particularly for construction, called the Mates in Mind programme. And that's out there through the British Safety Council that sponsor it. There's lots of information on the web if companies want to get involved with that. Yes, it's primarily for construction, but the ingredients within the programme, you can, you can bring it into any business. So that's what we did within, within Lancashire, marvellous great and from your side Heather yes
1: yeah, so I mean there, as Clive said there's lots and lots and lots of resources out there I mean I think the Mind have a very good website um, particularly for managers they've got really uh, good resources there Campaign Against Living Miserably Calm very interesting yeah. uh, interesting organisation as well obviously anybody that's really struggling there's a Samaritans and then finally, given that my big thing is personal responsibility, I think reading books such as The Inner Chimp, really interesting. Learning about how our brains work, we do not understand enough about how we work as, in, as human beings. And the more that we start to understand that, the more rich our experiences of life will be.
2: Just one more on that, and it's something, again, which is quite close to my heart. And we talked about the general industries that are out there. One of the industries which doesn't get thought about of burnout is, is people in the professions of being lawyers and solicitors that the pressure that these people are under and working with a couple of colleagues of mine that there's a performance club which is based at looking at senior leaders that have gone through these sort of burnouts as we call them and being open to talk about what's happened to them so it affects every industry no industry is immune to it if you think you're working in a small company you're, you're still as vulnerable as a large company. Very
0: true indeed and very fine words from you Clive on that and Heather. The takeaways that we're looking at from Podium podcast today, I'd thank you very much for your openness both of you in terms of what you've personally been through and I can see the takeaways of our employees need to have trust in both their managers and in culture within the business so it's key for the company culture to be open with the environment for survival and empowering teams to recognise the signs with colleagues And work on yourself and be responsible for yourself in the first instance. And delegate opposed to doing it all. So as usual, all the guest contact details will be posted on the show notes. Look out for the next Podium podcast brought to you by PTW.